everybody. <laughs> Recruiting Animal here on August 5, 2015. August 5, 2015. I had a little trouble logging in this morning, but I'm here now. And I want to tell you about an article I read on Staffing Talk this week about building rapport. The author is a guy named Scott Moorfield, and he said that he used to manage a recruiter who had a lot of no-shows. Her candidates would accept the job, and then they wouldn't turn up. So he watched her for a while, and he decided the problem was the way she spoke to her candidates. She was too businesslike, he said, and that meant she was very unemotional and impersonal. And because of that, she didn't uh, make the candidates care about her as a person. She had no humanity, right? So when they had second thoughts about taking that job, they just didn't call her because to them, she was just a robot. So he advised her, look, speak to candidates the same way you talk to your friends at the office. And she did. She tried to talk to them in a more lively manner, and she tried to feed back some of what they said to her to show that she understood them and she sympathized with them. Scott, the author, he says that you have to do that with your clients as well because, you know, you're going to screw up sometimes. You're going to send them a candidate who isn't right or you're going to place someone who leaves in the first month. But if they like you, they're going to give you some leeway because they'll consider the whole relationship instead of one <laughs> bad transaction. You know I'm talking about building rapport. That's Scott's view. I myself, however, favor the business-like approach. Some people, you know, they're natural puppy dogs. They want to hug you and kiss you all over. But if you're not like that, sucking up to people is degrading. You don't like it. You don't feel good when you do that. You know, you want to be able to deliver bad news. If you're sincere, you want to be able to deliver bad news without going through a big song and dance to make yourself seem like a nice person, even though you're telling them that they're no good. And even if you're not saying they're no good, you're telling them they're not wanted, right? And you also want people to judge you by what you do for them, not by who you are. So, you know, you don't have to give them Christmas gifts. You have to do your job right. Now, I admit, this might not be a good idea <laughs> in all people facing jobs. We had a prime minister very famous named Pierre Trudeau. Even some of you down in the States might have heard of him. And when he first came in to politics, he thought he could campaign for office on the basis of his policies alone, rather than you know appearing at public events like pancake breakfast and kissing babies. And you know what? He was proved wrong. So maybe I'm wrong, too. I don't know. But we'll find out on Jerry, Jerry, what's your business? Jerry's not here. <laughs> but let me play the shout. I had a lot of, oh, there it is. Here we go. The Recruiting Animal Okay, you know what happened? <laughs> I tried to get into Blog Talk Radio, and these days I usually log in with Skype with a headset. 
but I discovered since you know they don't let you in till 15 minutes before the show, I discovered that there is no Skype anymore. You can't get in with Skype. You have to use their lousy Direct Connect, and Direct Connect just kept processing me and processing me, and it didn't let me get in. So then I tried to phone in with Skype, and I got a busy signal. Now I'm just on a regular phone. Everything gets screwed up. But there's one good thing, everybody, about me logging in late. We're not going to sing. I'm not in the mood. I'm just going to introduce the guest, the famous Matt Charney. Matt, are you there? I am. How are you today, sir? Well, I'm screwed up. I'm upset, okay? I don't like it. Every time I log in, there's something new. There's some problem. You'd think after all these years I could get on the show without any screw-ups. It always happens. But you know what? If you wanted to sing a song, just to warm us up, I mean, that's okay. Did you pick, pick a song? Uh, you know, I, I actually picked a few selections uh, of, of hip-hop from Snoop Dogg, but we'll save that just in case it comes up later uh, in the conversation. No, no, no. Do you have a song? I'm ready to do it with you, but I don't know any hip-hop songs. Last week it was the most popular song ever, though. Guy uh, did a hip-hop song. Being for Hockey Night in Canada or um, Kids in the Hall, and I also don't know the Molson Jingle. I can barely hear you! <laughs> Yeah, hey, well, can anybody hear this guy? I'm, hey, Michael, I'm on a... If there was a problem, yo, I solve it. Check out the hook where my DJ revolved it. Yeah. That's, that's cold as ass right there. Dude. Was that you? No, no, that's... no, that wasn't. I wish it who was. was. Who was that? Don't push me, because I'm close to the edge. <laughs> and I am trying not to lose my head. Okay, let's go on. Let's just move on. Let's move on. Look, I got to ask you. I'm just going to dive right in, Matt. Thank you, whoever that was. Appreciate any singers on the show, Matt. Did be does being short make you irreverent and funny? You know, like you are known for being a funny, snarky guy. Snark something is the title of your own personal blog, and that's usually the result. In my experience of being a resentful outsider. So is being a short person, a short kid, and now a short man, the source of your attitude? Um, yeah, well, you know, uh, obviously having a Napoleonic complex uh, really influences everything I do. Um, but, but I think that the real genetics uh, that are pushing my snarky disposition, dry wit, and general bitching uh, happens to come from the Ashkenazi Jewish side, uh, which is to say that... Hey, look, don't be racist on this show. I'm not going to tolerate that. Can everybody, can anybody hear this guy? He keeps fading in and out for me. Can anybody hear him? He starts strong, and then he fades away. Yeah, Alejandro's backing me up. He's not criticizing yeah, me. No, I, you I, know I'm right. I, what are you on? What kind of phone are you on? I, I am on AT&T, which is like uh, Rogers Gone Ghetto, Michael. So I apologize for uh, for the, uh, my fine flagship uh, telecom. So, so you're saying that you're funny because you're Jewish. Okay. I know a lot yeah. of Jewish people aren't very funny, okay? So there yeah, you go. true. My family uh, being a great example. But as Bill Borman said, and I think this is true, before I met you, I never realized that Woody Allen was making documentaries. So, so there you have it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, you know, my friend Anthony told me that, you know, big kids, he was he's fairly short. When he was at school, the big kids, they pick on small kids. The bullies... You know, they're not looking for people their own size. They're looking for little guys so they can dominate them. And so was that true for you? 
Uh, you know what's actually interesting? I think this extends to my current trolling uh, where nobody ever like fights back, and that is I have literally spent my entire life trying to get into a fist fight or like an altercation because I think it'd be badass, right, and a good story. The thing is, when you're like five foot nothing, uh, nobody will take you on because it just makes them look like uh, it makes them look bad. So, okay, but, uh, let me just okay, okay. I just, so let me let's make that a little bit more professional. Is height a diversity issue? Okay, because we know in social <laughs> life, you know, tall girls. Uh, they're prejudiced. They don't want to go out with shorter guys. I, I've gone out with a number of tall women, and they told me they won't go out with people who are shorter than them, right? Does that work on jobs as well? Is it harder for short guys to get jobs? And should that be legislated uh, as uh, or prescribed, rather, by the government? <laughs> uh, I guess it would really depend on the market, right? Because in Japan, I'm a giant. Okay, we're not talking about Japan. See, I hate it when people, you know, they bring in irrelevant stuff. In the United States, is it harder to get a job if you're short? Is that prejudice? Is it illegal or should it be a legal diversity issue? No other show has covered it. I want it on this one. You know, there are a lot of studies out there that prove that it is harder to get promotions and you're going to make less money when you're short. It's harder yeah. to get positions. Yeah, is it true? There's a ton okay. of data on prove that. It. You know what? How are you going to prove I, it, though? I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's true because I really can't see up to, to know what's going on. Uh, uh, well, you've got to ask, just are my head. people better entrepreneurs because they're banned from corporate stuff in the 50s, 60s, and 70s? Are they better at running their own companies? It's a trade-off. Are they, Jim? Jets Jim Durbin? I don't know. I mean, it's all okay. anecdotal. Okay. Final. No, you know, know, these are... These are the warm-up questions, and I just needed them because I was so upset. But do people – you go to a lot of conferences, Matt. Do people hate you when – like, you really do needle people on, online. Huh? Talent chat, I mean, you, you really say nasty things about them. When you go to these conferences, do you meet the people that you needle on Twitter, and uh, do they hate you? <laughs> uh, when I go to conferences, generally the people who uh, tend to use Twitter as a platform um, aren't – don't have the thought leader cachet, I would say, to pay out of pocket to stand in front of a room of HR professionals and go through a PowerPoint. So, no, I generally don't know them there, but if I don't know somebody, um, I generally won't pick on them in line at all. So, um, you know, they're Yeah, that's like no answer. Did you, say, did you say that the people you pick on are people you know you're never going to meet? No, I, I, I pick on people I've already met. Uh, I wouldn't call somebody out just based off what they're doing on a social network. It's when I meet them in real life and they turn out to be just as big of an idiot uh, in person as they are in their online persona, uh, that's when they become fair play. Yeah, I don't understand what you said. That was a lousy answer. I hope it picks up, okay? Your sound is bad. You're giving me evasive answers. You know, they're not clear. Uh, I'm really worried because there was a lot of people looking forward to this. You know, I posted a, another interview that you did with Thug Metrics. Jody Garrison commented on it. She said that hearing that recruiters are afraid of math, which is what you said, they're afraid to be held accountable, and they're short-sighted. She said that was an unpleasant way to wake up this morning. Do you believe what you said? And don't give me a long run-on answer. Be direct. Pick me up. Hey, make this a good show because it's already in okay. trouble. I'll tell you this. If recruiters were inclined to do math and had any propensity for anything on the quantitative side of the house, they'd be in way better jobs than this. This is where liberal arts majors go to. 
Okay. Well, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there was a, a big article that got RT'd a lot, retweeted a lot, and it was saying that liberal arts degrees are the hot new item in Silicon Valley. And the example they gave was this guy, Stuart Butterfield, who founded uh, Flickr and now Slack. Uh, I mean, he's, he's got a, a master's degree from Cambridge. And that's the proof they offered that your stinky liberal arts BA from your state college is going to get you a job with some IT startup. That's not true, is it, Matt? Well, it's gotten you a job with IT staffing firms, so I don't understand why hiring people with a proven skill set uh, and a decent education uh, is a bad idea if they have the propensity to learn. Yeah, jeez, oh, your sound is so terrible. <laughs> That's a good way to wreck a show. Okay, here's another thing that you commented on. Uh, Boolean strings, okay? Yeah, Glenn Cathy said you wrote an argument against the importance of Boolean strings in sourcing, and he said you were entertaining, but your arguments were not sound. And he calls himself the Boolean black belt. And uh, I want to know if you experienced any shrinkage when he went after you. <laughs> uh, no, I, I actually saw an increase in traffic because he's legit. I'm never... Yeah, okay. But did you feel like a, did he did he demolish you? Do you do you have an argument? Do you think Glenn Cathy was wrong that you could hold your own against him in a discussion about Boolean strings? Look, I think that Glenn knows way more about Boolean strings than I do if you want to get down to the brass tacks and, and, and all the modifiers and all the stuff you can do with them. But that said, I don't think that his approach is the same way that the average recruiter is using Boolean. And I think the average recruiter often wastes their time trying to emulate the Glenn Cathy's of the world where they can just go into Google, type a phrase that they're looking for intuitively, click the feeling lucky button and save themselves a lot of time. Okay. Does anybody agree with him about that? I mean, there's some people online who must use Boolean strings. Yeah. Yeah, who is it? Alan Floor. Alan, you agree with Matt that you don't have to be an expert in Boolean strings to do good sourcing? I think it helps, but Matt makes a good point to start out on to start out on Google because most recruiters are lazy and they won't take the time to learn how to really do it right and screw themselves up. Yeah, I don't understand how that how that justifies Matt's point of view. Lazy people do it his way. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I think people are so bad that I could usually double their LinkedIn results. If I can double their LinkedIn results, I'm sure they're not good at Boolean. Hold on. Yeah, but he says you don't have to be good at Boolean. You guys are disagreeing with him, and you're saying you agree with him. The more you get at Boolean, the more you realize that most of these search engines aren't no. optimized for it anymore. I, I agree with him. So I, Boolean, I don't, I don't Alejandro know. says Boolean is not something that's going to bring you better results. Is that what you just said, Alejandro? I said the better you get at it, the more you realize you have to almost work around the, the most popular search engine, Google. It's not set up to support strong Boolean search. Okay. So Glenn Cathy, you're saying he really knows less about Boolean search than no, this no, non-recruiter, Matt no. Charney, no, this little punk. Oh. Giant list. That's much different than recruiting. Okay, I don't know what we're talking about now, and I can't hear half of you anyway, okay? Okay, we're moving into the real topic. It's 20 minutes into the show. This guy's the king of content marketing. At least that's how I always figured he builds himself. When I started writing stuff to him on Twitter today about content marketing, he says, what are you bringing up that for? That's old hat. Is content marketing old hat Matt Charney? I think that content marketing is old hat. I think content is a broader concept as anything but. Oi, vey, don't give me this kind of crap. I'm that not here a for answer. a tall discussion. 
What's the difference between content and content marketing? Uh, content marketing tries to sell a product or service. Content tries to sell an idea or uh, advance the conversation. <laughs> what a crappy answer that is. Okay, you said content marketing seeks to sell without selling, okay? And the bad content marketing is the stuff that's a thinly veiled sales pitch. That's why so much of it is crap. But really, you're saying that people don't read ads. So what you do is give them an interesting little story to read and then somehow position your company is something they would want to click on after. Essentially, that's it. You give them a little candy, and they like you and check you out. Is that true or not? Um, yes, it's true to the extent where the only Say something yes or false, true <laughs> or no. Hey, don't give me any BS answers here. Lay on the line. I'm in a bad mood. Simplified to that point, Animal, I 100% agree with you. What? I can't hear anybody. Maybe it's this, shows, this shows off the rails. Okay, you also say content creation is... I read your book, okay? I don't know if anybody else did. It's pretty good. You said content creation is easy. You just need to learn a few simple tricks of the trade that are proven, proven to turn passive viewers into candidates. That's right, folks. A few simple tips is all it takes to generate content that will capture the attention of a candidate who's probably not even looking for a job. That's what you promised. And, and that's what I'll stand by, Michael. Um, so when I and in that book, you'll see I, I don't limit content to just written long-form pieces. Uh, it includes things like job descriptions. And I would make the argument that having a compelling, well-written job description is going to lead to more uh, conversions in terms of candidates starting and finishing an application than a bullet-pointed list. I would say that a video... Okay, you know what? First of all, nobody can hear you. Nobody can hear you. Secondly, I, I don't know what you're saying. I'll give you some bullet questions that you can... Titles with lists. Is Everybody does it. Is that a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea. It doesn't make you stand out if everybody's publishing on Twitter the same kind of titles with 10, 10 steps to do this and 11 steps to do that. Are they good or bad? Give me a clear, straight answer. Bad. And I will say that I hate top 10 lists where it's lazy content. Um, you know, so today on Recruiting Daily, we just published a 7,200 word long-form feature uh, that is an extended allegory from Dante by Derek Zeller. Now, that is kind of the antithesis of a top ten list. I'm sure will be read less than one of those, uh, you know, kind of uh, throwaway pieces of content. But at the same time, what I think the goal of, of good writing and value-added content is, is to challenge people to think, not to give them pat answers. And that's all top ten lists are. Is okay, so how come all the other how come all the other content marketing articles say that people love lists and they love numbered lists? How come? Are they all wrong? Is it um, easy to say that and it's stupid? It is so easy to be creative. Hey, hey Matt Matt, nobody can hear you anyway. Let Alejandro answer the question, will you? Go ahead, Alejandro. <laughs>
Oh, I had broke our head. It's so easy to say that and just throw that out there, and people are going to read it on Pulse or wherever else. And it's it's easy to bang out. You know, here's five things you need to know to be a crappy interviewer, and that's it. It's yeah, okay. So is that a good hard. idea? Is that a good idea, Alejandro, or a bad one? Should you be writing, Ale, you know, uh, stuff like noise. imitating Dante? I, I didn't read that noise. article. It's just noise. Me too. Me too. That's all it is. You know, yeah. Well, it's also worth millions of eyeballs and has a much bigger effect than the 7,200-word allegory on Dante. That's yeah. I, I, in, in, this case, in this case, I sure have to agree. And I, so, so, you're, so Jim Durbin, he supports those uh, list, no, numbered no, list articles. I'm not, I hate them. It doesn't mean that they're not effective. Okay, yeah, so the, it's just like if you listen to the worst songs on AM radio or whatever radio it is these days, and, and you think this is garbage, but it's the most popular thing in the country. It's the same kind of idea. You want to make There's money. There's a formula you, for pop songs. It's, it's a mathematical formula. They broke a long time ago. They know uh-huh. exactly what to do. It's the same thing for writing content. It's right. still bubblegum. It's, it's just fake content, but it makes a lot of money, and it drives... A lot. Of, so it doesn't mean it's right. It just means that people, you know, but Matt has a great point. It Matt works. Matt has a great point when he says, even though that stuff is out there and it works, if you have compelling content, that's much more effective because people are going to keep returning to something that's original and fresh. Well, you know, I got to tell you something. First of all, addressing what Jim said, Matt has an article on his personal blog about how to write a blog posting for recruiting, and he maps it out as if he doesn't really believe it that it's garbage. But when you read his ebook, which is good and it's free, by the way, I, I recommend it. When you read his ebook, you see that he follows his own advice, and I'll be bringing it in later if I get a chance. He pulls all these percentages out of his uh, tuchus and uh, and throws them at you. And then I already read that little intro where he says, "I can, you know, teach you all this in just a few seconds," and stuff like that. He he does understand that there's a format, and certainly, uh, you know, some parodies of Dante are not among them. So uh, he might say one thing to us right now, but when it comes to writing his own stuff, that's not what he does. He does what Jim said works. No, okay. no, no, that's not fair. He, he has different voices that he writes in. And occasionally throwing that long piece lets the smart people know he's got the smart... And he didn't write the long piece, but... And I heard he's on the show. We should let him speak. <laughs> if, if he called on a decent phone, if he called on a good phone, we might hear him, Alejandro. We get a cover for him. Go ahead, Matt. Do you I want to say anything? Any yeah, here's what I would like to say. is If your goal is to, like, you know, the old post and pray of content marketing, which is I care about generating all as many impressions and, and eyeballs and, and leads as possible, then absolutely the top ten dispensable bullshit lists are the way to go. But if you, your goal is, again, to gain trust, to, you know, have people continue to come back and actually get relevant qualified leads, that are going to end up being customers or candidates, then I would advocate to do the other approach because what you're doing is you're screening by virtue of the presentation of that content. So sure, you can post an ad and get 1,400, 2,000 resumes submitted, but you know you only have to make one hire, and if none of them are qualified, what good does that do you in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So you know what? You took like two minutes to get to a 10-second point. Don't do that anymore, okay? Matt says, he says it in his book as well, which uh, I want him to tell us how, how people can get a copy of that free 35-page 
uh, ebook. But uh, he says quite clearly that if you have a blog, for instance, that's department oriented in, in your company, uh, and they have some employees talking about the projects they're working on, that's not going to bring in tons of applications. But the applications it brings in are going to be much, much better, high quality candidates, and more likely to convert into hires than even a, a job posting, uh, which is directed to the same audience, presumably. Is that right, Matt? Uh, yes, but I think where those really come in handy the most is not to generate applications, but to uh, pique the interest and pre-close the qualified applicants you've already uh, submitted for, uh, for a position. Well, how, what, what does that mean? Like, here's something you keep saying, and, you know, I'm jumping all over the place. I'm not following my schedule here. But you keep saying that there's different kinds of material that you want candidates to read at different steps in the hiring process. What does that mean uh, exactly? Because that's what you just seem to be saying right now. Right. Now, if I apply for a job, I'm going to want information about basics on the company, right? Uh, just what I need to know about the job, an overview of information, and just kind of top-level detail. Whereas if I'm considering uh, an offer that's already been extended, then I'm very interested in things like benefits packages, um, you know, compens uh, the way the compensation is structured, uh, tangible opportunities for advancement, what a day in the life of the department really looks like. So uh, at different stages, I'm considering and screening against different, uh, different uh, qualifications very much the same as, as hiring teams would do as they move a candidate from sourcing to selecting. Hold on. You mean when somebody's in the process, after the first interview, for instance, you're going to say, I'm going to send this guy some literature about the benefits we have and, and the opportunities for advancement, things I didn't say at the beginning to attract him or her? I would go into more detail, and then I would reiterate that content, because the average job seeker just wants to get through that 40-minute Taleo application, is unlikely to take the time uh, at that point to go through all of your stupid videos and employer branding collateral that's sitting on the site. So making sure that they have that information um, is a great touch point and a way to just drive home. Hold on uh, a second. Let's say, let's say, let's talk. No, let's talk about third-party recruiters for a second, because I want I want some feedback from the people on the line. If you recruit somebody, you send him or her out for the first interview, should the recruiter, uh, who's smart, then be shoving a bunch of new uh, marketing material, emailing it out to that candidate that he didn't send before? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, that, absolutely. That's actually uh, what Harry Joyner did so successfully. He talks to you, he gets it set up, when he decides to submit to you, he FedEx you a packet, and then he checks to make sure you read it so that you're prepared. So he has different levels of information going out depending where you want it, are in the process so that you're very clear and that you're, you're prepared, but you can also judge how prepared you are. Okay. Like Harry Joyner is a very smart guy. What he discovered was we all used to blog every day. What Harry discovered, marketingheadhunter.com, ecommercejobs.com, he's been on the show a number of times. He discovered that once you've got a, a, enough content, content on your blog, you don't have to blog every day, maybe even once a month uh, or uh, once every few weeks. And the stuff comes up in Google. It shows people that you've got expertise, and they'll get in touch with you. He also had some other ideas I won't get into. But what Jim is saying now is that he sends an interview kit. That's, that's not that far out. <laughs> that's not so wild, is it? Is it, Jim? What, what is but, but it? How many people do that? 
And that's the whole point of employment branding. What's in the interview kit? What's in the interview kit? What's in the interview kit that's different from the job description? The descriptions of the managers themselves, better insight on how things work, who you report to. You know, you don't you don't post everything on the first job. If you, if okay, and this so is different he, for executive search than like hiring a sixty thousand dollar person too. I don't know okay, the specifics so, in his kit. So he does the research. He does the company research that the candidate should be doing on his or her own, and spoon feeds it to them uh, before the interview. I don't, Essentially, I don't that's, know what that's, that's, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. No, it's that's not. What you said. No, it isn't. So what he said. Even if it is, the job of an agency recruiter is to make that candidate as successful as possible yep. when they go into any job yeah. situation. So and the candidate not? isn't going to do that. The candidate isn't going to do that to the same level. They're not professional interviewers. And the candidate doesn't know exactly. as much as the recruiter knows about the company. And they can't find out on their own, Alan Floor? The alternative is you let them find out on your own and hope and pray they did just as good a job as you would have done. Okay. Yeah, what can we do is we can give them a roadmap and guideposts to be as successful in that interview as possible when you're saying, animal, throw them out to the wolves, give them a spear, and good luck and God bless. What are you? How, when was the last time you did third-party recruiting, animal? That's yeah. what I'd like okay. to know. Hold yeah. on a second. No, 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 wait a second. I'm setting this up. I've got a strategy here. So he's saying that you present different materials at different stages in the hiring process. Matt Charney. We're talking right now about sending out some material before the interview. You were talking about sending it out after the interview, right? I think you send it out both times. I think one is to prepare, and then one's to prepare for next steps or add additional insight into the process. But either way, when you tell a candidate to do it themselves, and I'm a candidate, I go into Google and I type job interview tips, I run the risk of getting some crappy SEO-optimized content from a vendor that's only existence is to drive traffic and submittals into a job board database. I don't mm-hmm. want them using those tips. I want them using the tips that are going to help them actually get that job. Okay, okay. What do you send them after the second interview? Uh, I think that's when you start talking about benefits, salary, and free closing. Uh, obviously, do that throughout the process, but that's really where I think you. Start okay, but the thing is, you're talking that. about marketing materials. What format is this image stuff coming in? Just, just you know, stuff from HR about the benefits. Um, so I think that if you use uh, even an ebook approach to sending these PDFs, make it design friendly, make it easy to read, make it consumable, not huge chunks of text. That's that's content marketing. It's a downloadable asset. Okay, your your no talk about the use of humor too. Probably. Okay, but his big shtick, his thing is tell stories because we're we're hardwired. He says I posted it on Twitter. We're hardwired to react to stories, and he says so. Use your current employees to tell their stories. Uh, department by department, like make it really uh, niche oriented. Your marketing material. So. Here we're just talking about benefits. You send them out a, a dry sheet of uh, information from HR about benefits, or do you send them a video of some? Hold on, do you send them a video of someone talking about the time they had uh, an operation and uh, the benefits for the company covered them? I mean, what are we talking about here? Uh, I think it could be any combination of those. What I think it's important to hear is is a real employee, not a boring HR document, talking about the impact that that. You know, the perks that the organization offers, uh, the benefits, and, and, you know, even the corporate culture uh, is, is able to deliver. 
And so I think that hearing that in the first person from a future coworker is imminently more powerful than sending a templatized document. Somebody else wanted to say something about that. I, I think that might be a bit too detailed and not worth the money. But the reason you send out benefits package as a third-party recruiter is to make sure once you give the offer, they don't go, let me think about it. What do you think about? Well, do I have the benefits page? It's, it's the pre-close to make sure you, you don't have those kind of stupid questions. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you go, somebody want to say something? Go ahead. No. Okay. Yeah, Matt says, it's, it's at Matt Charney. I didn't introduce him because I was flustered. At M-A-T-T-C-H-A-R-N-E-Y. Matt Charney. I think he lives in Texas now, but he's always on the road going from conference to conference. He's the biggest conference whore. That's what that's a technical <laughs> term. That's a technical term. I didn't make it up. He's the biggest one in the business right now, as far as I can tell. He's everywhere, and he's also the best tweeter. I think coming from me, that's a very high compliment, okay? He's the best tweeter from these conferences. Other people are listening to the content, I guess. He's, he's there thinking about how I can insult somebody, and that's what makes him good. Now, he says when you're writing a blog posting, FOMO is the biggest hook. FOMO. Fear of missing out on something. That's what FOMO stands for. But Matt, in the book, that's what you say in your How to Write, a blog posting article. But in your book, you don't say that. Is there a contradiction in your ideas there? Uh, the audience for the blog posts were uh, people who were in, the <coughs> in content marketing or in um, recruiting itself. Uh, from a recruitment marketing perspective, the audience for the ebook is actual HR and recruiting practitioners and enterprise organizations. That it's sounds like the same person to me. There's no difference. You just said they're guys who are writing recruiting marketing material. Okay, so I, hey, I'll let you make a mistake. Go ahead. Hey, Animal, you, you've been confused by some of the stuff he said, right? Mm. That's because you're a recruiter and not a marketer. So when he says things and you go, oh, it's not a real answer, I'm going, oh, it's a marketing answer. That's half the problem. It is two audiences. Don't take his side against me. Okay, I'll tell you what. But well, No, no, one sec. I just got to say something. He did use his own advice in the book, okay? Because he uses fear right at the beginning. He said, if getting sued isn't enough of an incentive for you to read my book, well, then you're an idiot. Essentially, he says that. I can give you the exact quote. He uses that at the beginning of his book. He says, you have to write things that are you know, uh, compliant with all the laws, and if getting sued isn't a good enough reason to read the book, well, stop reading right now. This is going to be a waste of time. Okay, who wanted to say something to me? His fear model is a good one, combined with the second one of WIFM, what's in it for me, which is where you really appeal to the candidate, the marketplace, etc., and you get a good piece of you get a good blog article or a good piece of information out there, the smart people will appreciate it where the 95% of idiots won't. Well, Alan Fleur, you raised a question. He, uh, Matt says, oh, listen, you know, I had this organized so beautifully, but we're all over the place. I guess that's okay. He said the most overlooked question, the most overlooked question in every job description is that it needs to clearly communicate what's in it for the candidate, and it doesn't do that. Now, I didn't even know what he means by that. Matt Charney? He's right. right now. Well, what, does he, what does it mean? Read any job description. This is what the company can do for your uh, This is This is our company. This is why we're the cool kids on the block. This is the place to work. Uh, people are greatest assets. It's a bunch of genericized statements followed by what the company needs in that position, which is your, like, bulleted list of requirements. 
very rarely is there anything in there about, uh, you know, you're probably looking at other companies. Here's why we are different from other opportunities you may look at, and here's what you get out of taking this as the next step in your career. That's the missing step, and that's the compelling thing that will lead to conversion. No, there's probably nothing differentiates the job from other companies, so it's a meaningless uh it's a meaningless no. statement. No, what it is is that usually legal and human resources people within companies have sanitized it, so you're not allowed to put it in there. Matt, and that's totally that's totally asinine to me. Um, that that's a very old school mentality, but you're never going to get sued for having voice and accurately representing the truth in any written content. I, I don't think you have to have a stick up your ass uh, in order to properly convey uh, a compelling, well-written job description. Well, give me an example of what's in it for the candidate. Give me some one example. I mean, I, I, I didn't see one in the book. Oh, okay, so we recently hired um, an editor for RecruitingTools.com. What's in it for them is not, well, you'll have a chance to work with, an, with a growing content and publishing producer at the center of the HR industry. What, what was in it for that person, who said it in the job description, is you'll get exposure to new and cool products. You'll get to know industry trends from the first-person perspective. You'll be able to grow and advance your personal brand while helping to grow and lead the vision of a destination uh, that helps recruiters everywhere uh, have the tools they need to succeed. Those are much more clear selling points to me than we offer competitive benefits and free pizza. Okay. I don't know. It sounds like selling a chocolate bar to me. I don't believe anything, okay? when It all just sounds like fluff to me. I don't know. What's this thing, com? You say that you can use this technology to essentially write job orders for you. Am I right about that? Textio. Yeah, Textio is a really, yeah, it's a very interesting technology. So basically it's uh, the head, uh, the former head of semantic search at Microsoft and the former head of search language at Amazon took golden parachutes, put that money and started this company called Textio. And essentially what it does is it aggregates literally hundreds of thousands of job descriptions and pulls in bullet points, uh, or pulls in data points, excuse me, around language, the type of demographics who are clicking through and, and applying for these jobs. And, and really what that then does is it allows you to cut and paste the job description, and it will automatically rewrite that job description uh, to optimize it for what's working on similar job titles in similar markets, right? So who's had the best success in click-throughs? To, to marketing jobs in Toronto. Um, it's got, you know, tens of thousands of those uh, in its database, so it can automatically benchmark against uh, top performers and suggest how you get How many people are using that? How many, is it popular? Uh, I don't think... Well, what? it's in closed beta. It's in closed beta right now, so it's being used by around 25 uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, who are all doing a pilot program. It's going to launch publicly sometime next quarter. Uh-huh. So do you need what, content what? marketers if you can use Textio? Can't you fire all your content marketers at that point? Uh, yeah, it can certainly do that. I, I myself prefer to do um, the, the SEO add-ons in WordPress uh, to try to do keyword identification because they're generally tied in with Google Insights. But all that uh, is to say Textio, I think, because it's so hyper-focused, I'm pulling from a, uh, a data set that's only based on job descriptions. It's a really good solution for doing this specifically within the space because, as we all know, uh, the keywords, uh, consumer behavior, and uh, targeting are very different selling an employer brand than they are a consumer brand. 
Isn't this discriminatory against women who answer job descriptions different than men? Isn't it the giant lawsuit waiting to happen? Well, actually, the text uh, does control for that. It shows uh, any gender bias either way in a job description as well as suggests ways to change it to make it gender neutral. I don't think with the exception so of... So hire gender neutral, not based on talent. Well, finally, I can yeah, hear you, Jim. I don't know what you did. Okay. Okay. So hold on a second. Well, I, have, I don't want to get into that whole gender issue. What about these statistics that you come up with, Matt? A recent survey showed that 71% of organizations planned on increasing their content marketing budgets over the coming year. That was uh, at the start of 2015. 58% of C-level executives ranked content marketing as one of their most critical business challenges in 2015. I read your How to Write a Blog posting, and it sort of said that, you know, these you throw these in. People are suckers for them, but it didn't seem to say that they're necessarily true or uh, significant. But you threw it into your little ebook. Are they significant numbers? What do they mean? Well, I think that there's a distinction between people who are investing and people who are actually seeing results. That lies in the actual content creation execution uh, of those campaigns. I know what you that probably makes little sense. You think I'm speaking in gibberish here, but long story short, no, I just uh, think you're boring. Oh, you think I'm boring? That's great. Well, well when you uh, talk about that, I mean, I ask a question. I ask a question about what you wrote, and you talk about something else. Let me move on. Let me move on. Forget about this. Into shitty content, but you can't make that turn shine. Yeah, that's not what I. That's not what I was talking about. And don't use that word on this show, okay? Original content. You say original. Con- okay. Oh, here's something I loved from your book. I will teach you how to align. This is your favorite word, align. I will teach you how to align content to every stage of the hiring cycle as a way of developing referrals. Now, we kind of talked about you know, aligning content to every stage of the hiring cycle. It wasn't as uh, phenomenal as I thought the discussion would be. It just means you know, when the further the person gets into the hiring process, you start sending them more details about the job, essentially, and you send them some inf- interview information before they go in for the first time. But you're saying that you know how to send content at specific times in the hiring process as a way of developing referrals. You tell us that because we want to know it. Yeah, absolutely. I would suggest that everyone here go check out the resource library on HubSpot, which basically runs down everything you need to know about inbound marketing. The precedent for what we're talking about has already been set and established through the discipline of inbound marketing. The phases of the recruiting process and the phases of that process almost perfectly align. So you have everything from uh, what's called the consideration phase, which is more or less sourcing, to delight, which is after, you know, you already have a customer, trying to keep them engaged and driving referrals and do business. So by taking the best practices that are already established in the marketing world and simply applying to those to a recruiting process that, yes, is perfectly aligned with, uh, with that discipline, then you already cracked the code. Yeah, did I miss something? Did I miss something? I asked you how we can get referrals, and you start talking about, okay, get to go say something on HubSpot. You tell me right now how you can get referrals from sending out content at specific times in the hiring process. Don't talk about another topic, okay? 
you ask them, that should don't be a not continuous call to action in all communications. Who do you know? Always ask who do you know. Hold on. Are you asking on the phone? Or are you asking in the in the material that you're sending out to them? Wait a minute. Ideally wait a minute. Both. Wait a minute. You just flamed a bunch of recruiters for asking you for recruiting leads or asking for recruiting leads. If you don't know recruiters, now you're saying who do you know is one of the most important things you can ask. Which is it? Who are you talking to, Alejandro? Me. What? Can he put out I a can't. tweet? Matt. I can't hear Matt anybody. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can yeah, hear you, yeah, but I don't know what you're saying. Matt, Matt uh, all I want to know is, hey, before the show's over, Alejandro, right. before the show's over, the guy tells us in the book, I can get your referrals. How do you get referrals? That's all I'm asking him. Don't, he's not a politician. He doesn't have to talk away from the question. Answer the question. How do you get referrals? You make people inside the organization aware of open jobs and incentivize them for driving them. And for candidates... You you simply ask them who they know once you've moved them through the process and targeted them by function, geography, and uh, and job family. Or okay, but we're talking about content. We're talking about content marketing, writing content. So is there some content that you're sending out to people to get them to send you referrals? And give us an example if there if if there's something working. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the content that I send out to get referrals, I do in my job every day, and that's trying to uncover new writers and new voices so we can feature across our website. The way that I do that is I will tap into my database of, of people and specifically active contributors uh, to the community as well as our editorial advisory board. So that's a distinct list. And I will consistently, when communicating out to them, editorial calendar, policy, any sort of news or notes, I'll say, by the way, we're also looking for writers. There's something that you can send to them. If you have anyone who might be interested in, in, in joining us, please feel free to send them this information along with my contact information. Okay. That's it. Okay. And that's content. Okay. But you said here, I'm sorry, everybody, but I just want to nail them down on something. I will teach you how to align content to every stage of the hiring cycle. It's going to get you referrals. How does the refer, do the referrals refer to the different stages of the hiring cycle? If it was just a throwaway line, just admit it, okay? I don't mind. No, I, 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 I won't say it's a throwaway line. I think what it is that you're missing uh, about this concept is that there are always opportunities to generate more candidates from referrals if you already have identified a candidate who is moving ahead beyond the initial sourcing process. Okay, but what you're saying then is there's nothing there's nothing significant about it. Whenever you send something out, at the bottom of the page, just say, hey, you know, I'm looking for these people. If you know anybody, send them to me. That's essentially it. You just made it sound fancy in the book and exciting, okay? You did a good job there. That, that, that's, content. that's content marketing right there, you know. <laughs> Okay. Now, you say the primary metrics for recruiting, and this is how you judge the content marketing as well. Number one, candidate satisfaction. Number two, application start to submission ratios. Application start to submission ratios. And number three, candidate experience. Candidate satisfaction and candidate experience, they sound very similar to me. Are they different? Uh, yes. Yeah. So candidate experience is, I would uh, define it as, 
the overall interactions that somebody has while, and, while actively in a recruiting process with the company. So what they experience as they move from applicant to candidate and ultimately hire, that's a candidate experience. Now, candidate satisfaction is, is obviously linked to that, but at the same time isn't necessarily dependent on just recruiting, but rather looks at the concept of net promoter score to say, was your experience good enough regardless of outcome, where you would recommend applying for a job here to a family member or friend. So they're, they're a little bit differentiated. Yeah, it's very confusing. I don't know. I think uh, it is. Okay. Okay. That's why Okay. Now you say glass door. You should have a glass door page and put this content marketing in your glass door page. What's with glass door? Are you free to, you know, give your honest opinions about glass door if they're advertising with you? Matt is the I editor am. of Recruiting Daily and RecruitingBlogs.com. So, you know, I, I don't want him to lose money, but I'm asking you. No, how I, I should point out my editorial and my sales are completely firewall. Are there, there's a Chinese wall between them, and one does not impact the other. So I can speak completely honestly about Glassdoor, and it is this Glassdoor uh, right now is starting to buy millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of paid traffic, job seeker traffic, specifically targeting keywords and phrases around your brand, so, for instance, they're bidding on things like working at Cisco, right? So if I'm a, a candidate at Cisco and I type that into Google, guess where I'm going? I'm going to a Glassdoor page where, oh, yes, I'll also see open job descriptions at that company and those of competitors. So I do think that it's really incumbent to actively manage a Glassdoor profile because in as much as search engines determine our perception of reality, um, you have to help control that reality by, by actually, you know, uh, being an, a voice on Glassdoor rather than just letting people Okay, we're almost out of time. So LinkedIn Pulse, you said uh, LinkedIn Pulse is for dumbasses. Yes. You said I, it this morning. I, I, you said it this morning. Don't tell me I'm yes, talking about LinkedIn. something irrelevant. Yeah, no, LinkedIn Pulse is, and I can think of no better phrase. This is why uh, they'll no longer talk to me. It is the dumpster of online content, which is to say... People just post whatever there. It shows up in your feed, and it's literally some of the worst threats <laughs> that you've ever seen in your life. You know, I'm going to have to take that out, okay? It's not that anyone true. can hear you, really, anyway. Okay, is, so should people... hold on? even subscribe to that anymore? Go ahead, Matt. Answer Mike. Michael Cox. If you want to see math problems... Hold on, but hold on. Everybody we know who's in, you know, putting out the social media content all the time, they're all publishing on LinkedIn. And we oh, had, uh, no, uh, we had John, John Rose was on, I don't know how long ago, and he said he got two, uh, two assignments because of some of his publications on, on LinkedIn. So I'm not ready to, I've never published anything there, but I'm not ready to believe that it's not worthwhile. Matt Charney seems to be saying it's a garbage dump uh, in the, uh, a more vulgar way. Yes, I did. And, and here's the thing. When you put content on LinkedIn uh, and publish it, what you're doing is you're giving them the right in perpetuity to use your intellectual property, even if it appeared on another site first, so that they can sell ad space around it, right? That, that's what you're doing. Whereas I don't publish on Publisher. What I do is I will share links to my uh, external content uh, as a status update, and guess what? The, the traffic results from that are just as good as, uh, as really any publishing post. We get shared on LinkedIn more than LinkedIn's own blog, 
uh, as a general rule. So that being said, I think there are ways to tap into that community without also sacrificing your own writing. Okay. Anybody? There's five minutes left. Anybody have a question for uh, Matt? Since you know, I'm dumb. I don't ask the best questions. It's open. Go ahead. Matt. Five. Four. Why do you think? Why do you think animal is dumb and doesn't ask any good questions? No, no, because you guys tell me you don't understand what's going on. That's all I ever hear. I got lots more questions. If you don't want to ask a question, nobody's got a question. Alejandro had a good one. No, I didn't like that. Question. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? Okay. So uh, I, the thing I okay, he said some interesting things about video. A, he said, you know, get the hiring manager on video talking about uh, how he or she hires people. You know what their background is what they're interested in in looking for people, you know, make it under three minutes and post it on YouTube. And he said you don't have to spend a lot of money on a camera or anything like that. It can be cinema verite, and that's going to be really good. I kind of like that idea. What do you think, anybody or Matt, you want to expand on it? Yeah, anything that looks slick and, and professionally polished generally tends to lose uh, a huge degree of that whole authenticity. And no, but I mean, these, these, these hiring managers, can they speak uh, in an interesting manner, or is it going to be as dry as dust? You know, it's, either way, you're going to give candidates a pretty fair look at the potential person they'll be reporting to. Okay. You say good content surprises and delights your audience, so ditch the talking heads and shots of your office, but then you go ahead and say, show your employees having fun at work. It sends a powerful message to passive candidates who aren't. Isn't that what every employment uh, branding video does? It shows the people doing stuff they don't normally do at work. They're singing and dancing and wearing costumes and having fun. That's not work. You know, I think that the ideal mix there is showing people who work for your company doing things that aren't at work because it's what we do outside of the office that really defines who we are and what we bring. So I think that's the interesting stuff is the stuff that's not on a resume. Same thing as an interview. That's the stuff I want to know, not what you do in your job as a QA uh, associate at a manufacturing plant. Yeah, I, I think you're wrong. You oh, you're, you're, you're way off wrong. What about the uh, recruiters who just post job tweets? I'll ask you a few lightning round. I borrowed that from Steve. Uh, lightning round questions. Job tweets. Just job tweets on their Twitter feed, good or bad? Don't waste your time. Why? Because the chances of you finding a highly specialized role uh, and a candidate who's paying attention to a feed like that in the millions and millions of tweets sent every minute are very, very, very low, if not, you know, nil. Automated tweets, good or bad? Uh, depends on how you're automating them. I think scheduling them's okay. I think automatically pushing out through a feed so that every time a post happens, you know, it, it automatically populates. I think that's bad. Because okay. you're not curating the stuff that's coming from your handle. Okay. When you're writing a blog, no long introductions. Get right to the point. I'm very much in agreement with you about that. Anything to add I think to that's it? That's ironic, given the opening monologue and five minutes of banter before we started our conversation. Well, maybe I don't do it on the show. Maybe and today, especially, okay? And maybe my monologue is not an introduction to the show. It's something in itself. You think I should get rid of it? Well, I think that the point of these long leads is to set tone and get people comfortable for the message. So I would say that those are some more goals. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Anything that you have to tell recruiters that recruiters don't know and it's important for them to know? <clears throat> yeah, here's what I have to say is that uh, it really, all of this comes down to building a persona. An animal, with all due respect, you've done a better job of that than anyone. You chose to create this animal character who's not Michael. He's the antithesis of Michael, but he is a consistently strong voice who is always coming with something edgy and something entertaining. You've basically set a great precedent. I, I try to do that as a uh, hyperbolized. But don't kiss my ass at the end of the show. I'm I remember the other things exactly. you've said about me. I'm you said clearly, I like Michael. I don't like Animal, okay? I remember you saying that. So <laughs> lay off, okay? Anything I else? Everybody said that at least once in their yeah. Recruiting okay. animal okay. history. Unfortunately, there's no after show. There's no I'm after show. because someone said he did something right. Oh, yeah. You know what? I'm just really frustrated that I couldn't get on the show properly today. It just bugs me. After all this time, I can't get on the show. I mean, you then my, you know, my guests, half the people calling in, you can't hear them. You know, you the sound is a very important muted. thing. Okay, Matt, is there anything? Where can people? You've, what's the name of your personal website? Uh, it's Narc, Narc Attack, Attack, which is mattcharney.com. Matt Charney, M-A-T-T-C-H-A-R-N-E-Y. Matt likes to think of himself as Turtle. I love that show, Entourage, and he's kind of like Turtle, a little uh, less heavy. Uh, anything else that we should know before we let you go? You know, we didn't get even halfway into this, so we'll have you back someday. You were on two years ago. I guess we'll see you. We'll see you in 2017. Thank you, Matt Charney!